This is Passion with Dr. Lori Batito and John Paul. This question is going to mean something different to every person. And I don't even know if there's a right or a wrong answer. How comfortable are you with nudity on this edition of Passion? Dr. Lori, are we scaling that on a like one to ten? How comfortable am I with nudity? <laughs> uh I guess, I mean, you can, uh, but it's, um, you know, we can look at nudity. Let's look at nudity outside of sexuality. I think that's the point here is there's a lot of people who are uncomfortable with their bodies during sex. So they're uncomfortable being exposed. So that's one kind of comfort level. But I was thinking more about like how comfortable are you in your like what's your family values around nudity and I'm, right. I'm actually curious like did you walk around naked at, at home or was this something that every you know no your kids never saw you uh nude or like how did it how did you manage it in your household i i'm not a big want to be naked all around kind of guy like i i didn't have that experience uh, like where I played with a bunch of guys in hockey and after the game, I hopped into the shower and there were six other nude guys in there. Like that was never my thing. Like I'm not comfortable with that for what re- for whatever reason. I, I don't really know. Uh, so in our household, when the kids were younger, like I would say maybe, God, I'm getting old. My memory's terrible, <laughs> but I, I'm going to ballpark it as saying, when our oldest was maybe six, okay. which would have meant our middle was four and our youngest was two, probably in there, nudity was not a big issue. But as the kids got older, like especially with my daughter, more so than, than the boys, and that's probably just me being a dad. Um, like my wife's nude, I don't want to say all the time, but like if, if she was in the bath, the kids would probably go in and ask her a question. Uh, if I'm in the okay. shower. She was okay with it. Yeah, and she's okay with it. If I'm in the shower, they're kind of like, eh, I don't need to see dad. And I'm kind of like, eh, you don't need to come in. It's good. <laughs> uh, it's, never been, it's never been a spoken thing. So, like, that shows you, like, the vibes you put out in the world mm-hmm. can sometimes be read by other people. It's, um, and, it's not, kids, and it's not a spoken thing. Values are often unspoken, right? It's, it's yeah. like the comfort in your home. Like, if you grow up, with where nudity is a non-thing, like your parents walk around naked, your mother changes in front of you, like it's not a it's not a thing, then you probably, uh, you know, when you get older and you have a family, it's not a thing either, unless you're with yeah. a partner where it is a thing, and then yeah. Now have it's a not a big deal. It. Like it's not a big deal. Like I've. I've walked, it, like changed at the cottage quickly to have to jump in the water to do something. And like, no one gets horrified or anything like, ah, uh, like it's not a big deal. Um, but at the same time, I guess probably it's uh, a courtesy of honoring privacy as much as possible. That's kind of how I feel it. Like, I'm like, hey, you know, I, I don't want to impede on how nudity is a weird thing. Like, I don't have a problem being naked. But I don't know that you want to see me naked, and I don't want to <laughs> impede on your comfortness. You know what I mean? Like, right. Well, that, whether- yeah, I, that's a good point because, like in in my household, I, I I don't care. I walk around; doesn't matter. My kids. I have two girls, so it's not yeah. a big deal. But and they they don't seem to mind. But they uh, at some point for for a long time they didn't care either. 
and then they started to be more uh, conscious, more wanting privacy. And I never, and I and I respected it. You know, it's like, okay, I'll be naked because I'm okay with it. But if you're not okay with it and you don't want me to see you, that's okay. I respect that. I'm not going to force that. You know, that would be ridiculous. So respecting their privacy. So it went on until their own comfort level, until they were able to dictate what was comfortable for them. It would be interesting to get your husband's take as the sole male in the house of females, you know, like, cause that's like, to me, women being naked around women, I don't know if it's like some sort of like um, male fantasy that all women want to hang around together naked, <laughs> or if it's from like all the movies we've seen where like women are like, oh yeah, I'll just change right here. No problem. Uh, cause I feel guys are a little bit shyer amongst guys. Uh, uh, maybe that's just my experience. I don't know. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. Maybe, but I think that's a cultural thing. Like, would Uh, your husband roll out nude or would he be like, no, the girls are out there. I'm, you know. Um, yeah, he he never made a big deal out of it. Like if the kids came in while he was in the shower or whatever, it was fine. I think up until a certain age, uh, you know, he would bathe with the kids, but they were little, right? Yeah. And when when they started to like, I think, uh, notice and wanting to like, what's that? And you know, whatever, stick their hands there. He was like, I'm out of here. No, that's not happening. Uh, so there was, a, yeah, that that for sure um, happened, but he doesn't go out of his way to uh, to hide either, you know? You know, what's weird about it for me is my complete rational brain can completely justify that it's no big deal, and in theory, we should all be able to have a barbecue and everyone be naked and it not be a big deal. <laughs> and I actually believe if we could do that as a as a species a lot of the problems of the world would go yeah. away. Like, you know, the, 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 the people breaking into people's cell phone and sharing nude pictures. And like, if we were like comfortably nude around each other, none of that stuff <laughs> would matter. Like it would yeah. hold no water. Good but, point. Because, but because we are, I don't know if it's we're tight asses or uh, insecurities or, you know, it could be religious, you know, it could be comfort levels. I mean, it's so many things packed into one. Um, I don't know that we'll ever be that comfortable, but I mean, I think you look to the European model where they're like, Hey, we're going to the beach and the tatas are going to be out and the package is going to be, you know, nicely exposed in the smallest bathing suit I can find. Uh I totally can rationalize that that probably makes the world that takes a lot of pressure off the world just to say, look, this is who I am. Deal with it and move on. Well, I remember, uh, my first, uh, when I was in Paris, when I was younger, in Europe, and uh, there were big, po- you know, posters like ads, and the 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 women were topless in these mm-hmm. ads, and it was like, and these were huge billboards, you know, whatever. And I saw them everywhere. I was like, whoa, like this is you'd never see this in North America. Like they just no. don't they don't sexualize breasts in the same way. So it's uh, anyway, it's interesting. And our guest today is a, is an is she's actually an educator, a sex educator, who got herself into like this whole nudist uh, being and it's her, it's kind of her story and, but it's illustrative of how when you move into that, the freedom that you just talked about, you know, the letting go of a lot of stuff takes hold. And uh, sometimes it, it helps with dealing with body image issues and things like that. So we'll talk about public nudity and nudist camps and, uh, I mean, there's a whole movement. Like there are magazines and websites and 
organizations that are for nudists and nudist families, right? Where they go to, they go camping and everybody's naked. Yeah. No, se- it's not a sexual <laughs> thing. So No, that's it. Yeah, it's separating I- those two things. And I think that's probably one of the biggest uh, misnomers is we, maybe I'm generalizing myself here, projecting, but nudity is so linked to sex that, you know, just immediately separating them and saying, no, you can actually have one without the other. There's a lot of people that, but I've never had one without the other. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, so like, I don't, this experience you're talking about is foreign to me. And now you're saying, oh, yeah, you can be nude and there's no sex. And I'm like, but no, there's nakedness that equals sex to me. And I got to reprogram myself. See, but that's, I think, the North American. Well, not just here. Yeah. But it's just a it's a it's a cultural thing. Right. So, yeah. Remember how um, if you used to read National Geographic and you would see yeah. the uh, you know women in from different parts of Africa and they'd have their, you know, they, they wouldn't be wearing any tops. Right. That was how they dressed there. Everything was bottom down, and um, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you remember the boys going, "Oh, let's look at National <laughs> Geographic." You know, <laughs> hey, what's going on here? <laughs> and she carries the water. <laughs> Woo! Yeah, no. Uh, look, I'm just saying. There's a lot of guys that know exactly what you're saying right now. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> right. Uh, we'll get to that in just a bit. Uh, let's remind everyone: our Instagram is uh, continuing to grow. There's lots of great information that's posted there throughout the week. Alex is doing a great job, so please make sure you follow us on Instagram at Passion with Dr. Lori. John pulls Let, in there too, but you know, <laughs> I'm in there somewhere, but don't, it's not about me. It's about the learning and the experience. Right. Uh, let's get into the mailbag. Love, sex, relationships. It can get complicated. We all have questions. Dr. Lori helps with the answers you need. We love your questions. You're welcome to send them along to drlori.com. And this one starts, hi, Dr. Lori and John love the show. My question is... Is it okay to put lotion or oil on my penis? I ask because my penis looks dry. And if so, can I receive oil? If it were or, uh, oral, if it were okay. I got thinking about the oil and the oral and thinking and, to myself, right. hmm, I don't know if that's going to work. But then that being said, uh, there's lots of those lotions and stuff that are like watermelon and strawberry so yeah that, that is true that is true yeah. uh you'd have to find out if the lotion or the oil would be okay to ingest that 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 would for the person yes. giving the oral sex but you know uh, penile skin is skin right it can get dry it can uh <laughs> you know some sometimes it can chafe with overuse um yeah. And it's okay to moisturize it just like you would moisturize anything else. So there's no danger in putting lotion or oil uh, on your penis at all. Like you you don't want to get it into the urethra, which would make sense because you don't want to create any type of infection. But on the outside, on on the skin, absolutely. Grease it up, my friend. (laughs) I just, someone was like, ah, oh, I've been working in the garden all day. I've got dry hands. I just want to get some lotion on there. And then, oh, I've been jerking off all day. i got to get some lotion on there. <laughs> well, I, I just, but it makes sense. You're right. It's skin, right? It, That's it. It's skin, and it can dry. And just like you can get acne or skin conditions or pimples or whatever on other parts of your body, you can on your penis, too. So it's not like you can't get skin conditions on there because skin is skin. It's just the skin on your genitals. Read the label. Make sure it's safe. Go from there. 
also in the mailbag, Dr. Lori, are black dicks really that much bigger? I've seen the slang BBC all over my girlfriend's web history, and I'm scared she is going to lose her ability, my her ability for me to make her orgasm. Hmm. Good question. First of all, women need clitoral stimulation. So the size of the penis eh, doesn't really impact this as much. As long as you're using your hands, your mouth, uh, and your penis you know, well enough to provide this kind of stimulation. So that's what you really have to uh, think about. The fact that she's watching BBC porn, just like if you were watching some other porn, it's just a fantasy. It doesn't say that she's not satisfied with you or your penis or the size of your penis. Like, think about this. If you're looking at huge-breasted women in porn, but your partner's average size, does it mean, does it imply that your partner does not satisfy you? I would think not, right? Uh, mm-hmm. So you have to think about that. So there's fantasy and then there's there's reality in real life. And you're more than just a body part. You are to to your partner who loves you. You are more than just a penis. You're a penis attached to a person that she loves, and the person that she loves matters more than the appendage that is attached. The same way that you wouldn't love her any less uh, if she didn't have the the big boobs that you might fantasize about. So let, let's keep that in mind here. Um, but then there's a question about the the penis size and race. And this has not been supported by scientific evidence. The only thing, um, penis size is correlated, not even hugely, excuse the pun, but correlated with height. That's about it. So the taller you are, the bigger your penis will be. Slightly correlated. So there's a lot of myths around penis size. A lot of myths. So... um, you can actually go to a website called LiveScience.com and you'll see there's a whole section there on penis myths debunked by, you know, using, using sci- the scientific data that we have. So it's all a myth. Should we have a conversation about him searching his girlfriend's web history? Oh, that's a, it didn't even occur to me about that. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> That is true. That is a good point. Why are you looking at your girlfriend's web history? And would you be okay if she looked at your web history? (laughs) Good question. Here's what I suggest to this young man. Whenever you see BBC in your girlfriend's history, assume she's searching the BBC television network in the UK and she's just trying to get updated on Coronation Street or Downton Abbey yeah, or something right. like that. And just <laughs> keep on trucking and get the hell out of that history. It's none of your business. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> uh, finally, do you think herpes and genital warts deserve the stigma they have? After doing extensive research about the two, I feel like they don't, but I'd like your take on it. Smiley face, Dr. Lori from the mailbag. Um, no, I don't think that they deserve the stigma they have. And all you have to do is look at the sheer volume of people who are infected with either herpes or HPV or both. So at any given time, about 16% of the population between 14 and 49 years of age 
have genital herpes. That's HSV2. For oral herpes, you know, like cold sores, that number jumps mm-hmm. to 50% of the population. So, um, and, and many people have no idea they have herpes because they are completely asymptomatic. And the same is true of HPV, the human papillomavirus, which causes genital warts. That is probably the most common sexually transmitted infection. And research shows that at least 75% of the population, think about that, 75% of the population will contract HPV at some point. Point. Many of these infections go unnoticed with no symptoms and they just go away on their own. However, some strains can lead to cervical cancer in women, which is why it's really, really important for sexually active women to get pap tests every, I don't know what the standard is in wherever part of the world you're in. Um, here, I think it's every year, every two years that you get a pap test done. Uh, and that's really important to be able to detect any abnormal cellular activity, which could then lead to cervical cancer, which is, you know, the, that it would be the result of certain strains of H- HPV. And also in very rare cases, it can also cause penile cancer. So if you have a wart or if you see a wart, make sure you see a doctor, make sure you have it treated, it can be um, removed. Unfortunately, there's no actually sure way to avoid these infections if you are being sexual, if you're having any any kind of activity below the belt. Um, even though the best protection is, is condoms, you have to remember that HPV and um, herpes are transmitted by skin-to-skin contact below the belt. So that those are the areas not covered by a condom as well. So it's sad to me that, that so much of sexuality is stigmatized. And, and I think it's because m- like a lot of the population just lacks some basic knowledge. So mm-hmm. when you have misinformation or lack of information, people will make a lot of erroneous assumptions and that's how myths are propagated. So it can be quite sad. A very interesting mailbag on this edition of Passion. Of course, we love your questions, sex, love, relationships, or just comments in general. Go to drlaurie.com. Passion for learning, life, and love. Coming up in Sex in the News, how many people have experimented with BDSM before? We'll find out. But first, how comfortable are you with nudity? We are joined by Nikki Davis Fainbloom. She's a sex educator, researcher, and coach. She's based out of New York City. She's a self-described nudist. She writes about it. She lives it. We're going to find out what all of that is about. Welcome to the show, Nikki. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Just a side story, how I know Nikki, and people might find this funny, but her dad, we're outing your dad, but he wants to, his name's there, so it's okay, right? Uh, her dad and I were really close friends in high school at the age of 17, and then Nikki reached out to me at some point, and the rest is history, so I feel like things are like coming full circle, and, and it's kind of fun. For me, it's great to see that next generation, the young generation getting involved in sexual wellness, sex education, all of that. So it warms my heart because I, I, I feel confident that I'm leaving the field into competent hands to take over, you know, yeah. and continue this work I've been doing for 30 years. 
Another side note, uh, my grandfather was greatly impacted by your book about sex after <laughs> he told me all about it. <laughs> yes, that's right. I met your grandfather, too. Oh, my God. It's a family affair. <laughs> that's true. I think your your grandfather reached out to me. I think he came to one of my talks, uh, in fact, and told me who he was. And then it was like, oh, my God, you know, <laughs> it all came around. All right. The whole issue of nudism. So one of the things I wanted to discuss in the podcast is our, our comfort, discomfort with nudism. I want to talk also about the um, how we live it in our in our upbringing, because, uh, you know, some people, some families like, yeah, whatever. You walk around naked, no problem. And others are like, oh, my God, that's so inappropriate. You can't do that. Uh, so there's a philosophy and I think let's 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 separate the nudism from the sexuality, because I think this is the biggest misconception. I think it's 100 percent the biggest misconception. And it's really problematic because for me, it's two separate things like you're born naked, you breastfeed naked. There are so many naked activities that have nothing to do with sexuality. But so many folks conflate it and think that because I enjoy being naked, that means I want to have sex or that means I'm a sex worker or certain identities that I don't. Uh, personally identify with and it's a problem so what do you when did you realize hey I like this I'm a nudist when did that come about so it was completely 100% accidental I was reading an article (laughs) about um, a body painting day that was happening at the park right outside my house And I was currently going through a breakup, dealing with some personal stuff. And I was like, maybe I just need to get naked and get painted. And this will sort of help me reframe because I was also going through a phase where I wasn't feeling super confident in my body. I felt that when I was getting dressed, I was swindling the world into seeing me in a specific way. And it felt like when I did get naked for sexual reasons, it almost felt like I was worried people would be disappointed or wouldn't like what they saw because it felt like the clothes I was wearing was sort of hiding something hmm. within. I don't know if that but makes don't sense. We all, but don't we all, I mean, we all wear clothes that are going to look good on us. You know, like I might have cellulite, but in my clothes, you don't see the cellulite, you know? <laughs> so are we all just hiding? Like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> to some extent, I think so. But there was something so freeing. So that day, it was the hottest day of summer. It was maybe 40 degrees Celsius. And we go to this park. There's a bunch of protesters, which was not expected. So there's a bunch of people that are like, the park are for children, not for naked people. Uh, not understanding they have that. A point, but okay. <laughs> yeah, understandable. But it was an artistic event. Um, so it was was these professional body painters from around the world came into New York to paint bodies. Uh, So I remember I got there and the dude was kind of like, okay, just take off your clothes. And there were all these cameras on one side, (laughs) all these protesters on the other side. (laughs) And I was very close to just turning away and leaving, but it felt like a challenge for me. Um, Initially, I was not comfortable because... There were the people that conflate it with sexuality. So one person got a close-up photo of me before I was painted, which is not what it's about. It's right. about the full body being painted. So that's somewhere on the internet if you dig deep enough. Right. <laughs> so that was a really, it was a moment for me to sort of process that as it was happening. But I ended up 
loving it after being very, very uncomfortable for the first little bit after the paint got on me. Um, what I really loved was seeing other naked bodies because I had never seen them before. So I'd only seen naked uh, pictures or naked porn or maybe in some videos or performances, but I hadn't seen normal bodies naked. And for me, that was really powerful to sort of normalize the vast array of what a body can look like because yes. even in photos there's photoshop right you never really yes. know what it was but while we're there there was this fantastic woman who had a prosthetic leg and was getting painted so that was amazing to see um there was someone in a wheelchair uh it just helped me see like oh stretch marks are normal or like everyone has a little bit of a belly and maybe the way I look is fine and I actually have nothing to hide wow. so I got super in the zone. It ended up at an after party where I was playing pool and beating everyone fully naked and painted. Oh, you're, you're... <laughs> oh, so you kept being naked the whole time. I kept, I kept it oh, going. Wow. I loved it. And then after that, I was like, when is the next event? That was amazing. Wow. Um, no, no arrests were made that night? <laughs> not that night. He had already gone through the arrest process, actually. Oh, wow. So he had a permit. Uh, that shows that for him body painting is art and it's permitted in New York okay wow so it's permitted in New York okay I'm, I don't know where you know where else in the world that is but that's a great uh you know foray into uh into nudism I, I know a lot of people grow up in families for example where they're taken you know by the parents at a very young age to like nudist camps and and nudist events and and things like that that was not your experience no not at all uh completely accidental and I've uh since that day I've sort of started to embrace the community but I haven't been to that many retreats I'm interested in it um but mostly I was in one naked theater performance since then which was really fun okay and I've been in a bunch of different sort of painting days we did one in Times Square and that was just mind-boggling because all the tourists it's like there's so many uh fantastic responses from when people see you so I love just making eye contact and seeing the response so there's 20% that are completely disgusted and they're like what is this I'm like this is awful I don't want to see this which I do think I understand to some extent if you haven't seen it before to see someone naked staring at you can be a huge shock right right wow and there's some folks that are interested in a creepy way so every once in a while there's someone that like stands there a little too long and yeah you, you and, yeah they all the way getting the type of enjoyment from it that you don't want them to but most people are just interested they're excited uh we did an event last week where we were painting and people kept walking by and being like I want to do it too so people wow. just joined in from the street and got painted and it was it was quite an interesting experience and it's beautiful like the the uh, this is real art you know your when your body becomes a canvas you don't look nude. So, I mean, that's the interesting thing. It's like once you're painted, it's like you're wearing some suit, right? Exactly. I, I completely agree. I think that was sort of like a good step for me because I felt like I wasn't fully naked, but um, yeah, it's part of part of the journey. Yeah, I think I would only do the after, not the before. <laughs> I would, yeah, it's like, no, nobody's seeing that before. How did it, like as, a, as an educator and you know, someone who has great credentials for doing the work that you do, were you afraid in any way that it was going to affect your work? Or did people say to you, Nikki, you might be a little nuts to do this? Like, what was the reaction? 
the reaction was very, very mixed. So for example, uh, I would say my parents, specifically my mom was very un- unhappy with it, uh, specifically that I got so comfortable that I posted some painted photos online and stuff. And she thought that it would completely discredit my credibility and that folks wouldn't trust me to coach them or wouldn't hire me to do events at schools and institutions that I have experience at because they would simply see the naked photo and either think uh, that I'm involved in sex work, which there's nothing wrong with. It's just not my profession um, or make assumptions that I'm just someone that's like, woo, here are my boobies instead of someone who's not a professional. Let's go have sex. Let's get into an orgy. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. So, uh, and I would say that a lot, I think, I'm sure, you know, people in general sort of reach out to sex educators often with personal questions or with inappropriate comments. Um, But I would say that after I became part of the nudist community, that quadrupled at least. Oh, shit. (laughs) How many more dick pics did you get? So many more. (laughs) So many more. Will it ever end? <laughs> I know. Unfortunately, when, um, yeah, that that is the, definitely something that would hold back, uh, you know, most people, I think, being in the field of sexuality, people take a li- take license with that, and they make assumptions, and they think that, you know, you're welcoming all of this, this stuff, and they're not realizing you're there to educate, and, and what have you, and it's, this is not about, it, like, <laughs> sex educator, sex therapist doesn't equal like you said, sex worker, they're completely different things. Um, But I I can Mm -hmm. imagine that can be some, something else. Uh, What do you think about, uh, like, have, have parents reached out to you about this? Like, have you talked to people about their comfort level with nudity in the, in the home? I just want us to have a little bit of a, a discussion about that because I have met people who are like, you know, their kids have never seen them naked. They're like really, really uh, private. And I, and I don't want to judge anybody for how they were raised and what they think is appropriate. I just don't like the idea that those people will look down on other people who say, yeah, I shower with my kids or I bathe with my kids and I, you know, showered with my kids till they were 10 or whatever it is. And they're like, oh my God, that's so inappropriate. That's like a... Yeah, and then they equate it with sexual abuse, basically, mm-hmm. which of course it has nothing to do with that. I want to make that distinction because the parents who are who practice nudism in their home have nothing to do with sexuality. One hundred percent, I completely agree, and I think it's almost like when we don't have, uh, when we're told something is wrong, or we never ever see a naked body in the house, or you assume that everything needs to be completely private. I think it's possible for some people to get hyper-focused on that and it makes it a bigger deal than it has to be. So if you've never ever seen any penises or any vulvas in your whole life, it can make you become focused on that and it can make you learn about it through porn or through these things. And as we know, it's like that can be a huge confidence killer for young boys for their first penis to be a porn penis, which is like the top five percentile of <laughs> sizes. And obviously yeah. they see that it doesn't normalize what actual bodies look like or for women to see a perfectly touched up vulva that has had surgery or looks like the way most vulvas don't look like it, it makes, it can lead to so much insecurity seeing it that way. But I think 
I don't think it's for everyone, but for some people having not even nudism in the house, but just, I think nudism to be less of a big deal that sometimes some people just prefer to not wear clothes. And why do we have to focus on them or take photos of them? Why can't we just let people live their best lives? Like, of course it has to be in designated areas. I'm not saying I should just walk down the street naked, but, but I think it's like by focusing on it too much to some extent or saying that it is sexual abuse or whatever it is it's I don't think that's necessary and I think it can make people sort of focus on it too much right I know that for me I was conscious of not wanting my kids to grow up in a too restrictive like I wanted them to see their bodies as natural and what's the big deal and so we, I walked around, my husband too, like we didn't care. We walked around, you know, naked. So did the kids mm. until they were uncomfortable because mm. then we have to respect the children, right? So at some point, like the kids are like, no, mommy, close the door. I, I don't want you to see, to see me get undressed. And it was, I wasn't going to force, you know, you say, okay, I'll respect your privacy. It's what you want. Um, but I'm not going to close my door. if It's not what I want. You know, you don't have to look, but I, I'm, I'm free with mine. So, and I think that it's that it's a philosophy, I guess, that you and it's a it's a kind of a value in your home. Um, I mean, I, I believe like kids are very curious, right? Like they it's like, what does mommy have? How come, you know, little boy, you look different than me. Are you going to grow a penis, mommy? And, you know, like there's they have questions, you know, and this is about the education that they need. And to me, this is part of sex education without it being about sex it's just about bodies I completely agree and I think a lot of parents sort of count on the schools to do their measly 45 minute sex education talk in grade a year <laughs> and it's like that is not enough I think throughout your whole life you have to normalize conversations about consent about bodies what they look like about sexuality so that it doesn't feel like a shock when their body starts feeling a certain way or when they see something for the first time um Right. So how would you um, had now that you've like kind of been in this world a little bit and experienced it for yourself? um, What do you tell people like how would you coach people who might have difficulty with their body image? And I mean, it worked for you, you built your confidence that way and what have you, it may not be for everybody to go that far with it. But what would you, how would you go about coaching somebody around that issue? Yeah, I think it can start with really small steps. So it can start with, if you usually sleep with clothes on, maybe see how it feels one day to sleep with less clothes on. So there's some research showing that people who sleep with less, less clothes on have a little more confidence um, or something like maybe have a dance party by yourself at your house. And instead of wearing clothes, see how it feels to not wear clothes and maybe point out five body parts of yours that you like or five things that you like about yourself. And you can also go out of your way to look for naked folks on the internet that isn't porn. So you can normalize that stretch marks happen, that not all butts do the perfect curve thing, that (laughs) breasts sometimes aren't all the way up here and that's still beautiful and that's still fine. And it sort of steps on feeling more confident with yourself. Like, I don't think most people would want to go to Times Square (laughs) and be like, yeah. (laughs) No. I think that that's completely fine. Um, But it's just sort of normalizing all different types of bodies and working on knowing that yours is beautiful. 
I like that. I like that. Yeah, I think um, one thing I've noticed, and maybe I'm wrong, but uh, the younger generation are seem much freer like I see a lot less bra wearing for example mm-hmm. you know it's like back to the 60s burn the bras you know it's like like women not wearing not wearing bras or feeling like it's okay to show nipple it's okay you know my generation like you don't show nipple like you yeah. guards are it you know or <laughs> you gotta go braless um so yeah I mean I'm wondering what you're what you feel about this this younger generation are they more comfortable with their bodies or less because I sometimes I wonder about it simply because of social media also and the expectations and the photoshopping and like it, it must be causing some a lot of insecurities but at the same time I also see more freedom so I think I think it's really complex um because I think it's it must be so interesting because I was like a little older than the generation that grew up with Instagram from when you were young. And I think that has a huge effect on you because you look at how many filters are being used and how many folks are not showing their real bodies. You can figure out exactly how big you want your breasts to look. You can make your waist look any size you want it to. You can get rid of any imperfections on your face. And then if this is what you're seeing when you scroll through social media, similarly to watching porn to see what bodies look like, it's you're not seeing an accurate representations of what bodies look like. And I think for some people seeing that can have a huge effect on their confidence and their ability to like themselves the way they are. Even folks that are using these apps, it's like you're looking at your body and you're like, what are the flaws? How can we fix them? So you, so fixate, I think- you fixate on the flaws and all those little imperfections rather than embracing them yeah I think that's that's doing a huge disservice and I've I've always been if I'm going to post a picture I don't want any photoshop it's it's what it 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 is what it is that's it you don't like it too bad I don't care but yeah I find it like uh like it's almost like if you're constantly wearing a shit ton of makeup and then you have you sl- you're, you're sleeping over at a guy's house and you have to wake up the next morning and your makeup's gone. Like, <laughs> like, how are you going to get up? Like, I, it reminds me of like, I don't remember what show or movie I saw this day where the woman in the 50s would get up like super early before her husband, yeah. go put on her face. Yeah. And then get get back into bed. So she'd wake up with a perfect face, you know, like that's ridiculous. Yeah, it is. It is ridiculous. And I think for me, like embracing the nudist community has really helped me shift that. And there's some research showing that for folks that go to these, they have nudist based interventions for body confidence. And what it is, is you spend a weekend with a bunch of different folks where there are opportunities where if you want to take off some of your clothes, you can. Um, And the research is positive. So folks that engage in this, when they leave, most of them feel better about their body. They feel more confident. They feel they have a general sense of well-being. And I think that it's sort of the opposite of a filter is to just be like, here I am in all my glory, take it or leave it. Yeah. And just embrace it. But which is yeah. very different. And, and I want to point this out because, you know, there are uh, there are resorts that are clothing optional resorts. Those mm-hmm. are not nudist resorts. Those are swingers sex resorts so there is a difference if you're going to choose a nudist resort make sure that it's that's clothing optional but it's actually with the nudism 
organization or something exactly. like that because so I, otherwise it's going to be a big shock to you yeah you want to know which door you're opening uh, I got invited to speak at this festival called sentient festival and it's a multi-generational nudist festival where <laughs> I'm doing three workshops about um sexuality and sort of some of my research but anyway when I got the confirmation he was like just so you know you can present naked or not <laughs> so that was <laughs> I cannot imagine it like yeah, I can imagine imagining your audience naked and that's probably what you're going to get. But I cannot imagine getting up there naked and presenting. I know, I know. <laughs> but I'm kind of tempted. It just feels like one of those life challenges, but we'll do it. It might be a little too much. I don't know. You or you can wear like light and then, you know, start taking off a little bit of clothing. That might be more distracting. <laughs> oh my god. That's something else. But uh, yeah, listen, it's, it's a movement, I think, like, and, and it's a movement, but it's been around forever. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know if you know anything about the history of nudism, but I mean, it's been, Mm -hmm. I don't even know how many decades and decades, you know, like, I've been talking about it since, since when I started in this field. So I know that it exists. I've seen there's magazines and there's organizations and there's all kinds of stuff. So it's a, it's quite a large community worldwide. We just mm-hmm. don't do it in North America as much. Maybe, not maybe it's much. not as, as an, I don't know, or maybe in America, it, it, is it America? Is it, you think it's American? You think it's the States? It, I don't know. I think if you dig deep enough in most big cities, you can probably find something, but I guess Canada's a little cold, although they still do- <laughs> to be naked. Yes. Yes. <laughs> well, there was a naked bike ride in Toronto this weekend. So it's happening. Yeah, that's right. There is. And there's been a few events here. There's a uh, Montreal has had a couple of uh, naked something or other where there's like a sea of naked bodies somewhere down uh, downtown or something like there are, Yes, there's definitely uh, room for it. And you're going to get a lot of, you know, often you get the backlash from the very conservative. I guess what I'm saying is in the States, you have far more conservative states than you have liberal states. So exactly. You have to find your little safe bubble in Brooklyn. Yeah, I don't think like going in the middle of, I don't know, Alabama or something (laughs) naked. It's going to go over well. (laughs) I'm not sure. Oh, my God. So what's next for you? Um, Anything? So you've got your nudist uh, workshop, which I'm really anxious to see how you do there and how you felt about doing that. Um, You're going to are you teaching more about um, nudism and confidence and things like that? Is that? Um, So for me, that's sort of just one of the things that I do. And I would like to uh, focus on it more. But for the most part, I'm doing a lot of coaching with couples, specifically, a lot of folks who are looking to open up their relationship or explore different dynamics there. And I'm starting a book, which I'm really excited about, which is exploring extreme fetishes. So I'm interviewing around the world to have extreme fetishes about how they've been able to explore it with partners how to talk to partners about it how they it developed for them and how they sort of integrate it into their sex life so that's been going on and we will definitely that is something we will definitely talk about so as soon as you're ready we let's help 
will help you promote that. And, and I'm, I'm very interested in your research in that, actually. It's um, yeah, it's been really blowing my mind. I just connected two folks who have sneeze fetishes to each other. And it was such a beautiful thing because <laughs> neither of them had ever talked to anyone with that experience. Wow. And now they connected, they bonded, they explored ways that they've explored it with partners and they're just starting to open up about it. So wow. yeah, maybe start a uh, nudist uh, dating app or something. something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there you go. You can try that. That's the uh, idea. <laughs> and I think you, um, I did read an article that you wrote. So maybe uh, where can folks read, read up your article that you did on nudism? Um, so that is for an organization called Get Me Giddy. Okay. But you follow me on Instagram. I'm posting all of my recent stuff. I just had an article come out in Cosmopolitan as well about um, my invisible condition and health stuff. So if you follow me on Instagram at Miss Bloom Sex Educator, I, I have a post about the nudism stuff and other things. Wonderful. Well, we're going to make sure that we post all of that on social media, of course, and, and with the link to this podcast. So people will be able to find you and uh, we'll, we'll see if we if Instagram will let us repost some of your yeah, we'll body see. painted pics. Like we'll, we'll look into that. Yeah. And sure people Don't tell my dad. Don't tell your dad he follows me. <laughs> Too late, <laughs> darling. Too late. <laughs> this is it. You are out. Out. That's out it. Now. He's just gonna have to accept it. That's it. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, share your wonderful uh, nudist experience uh, with us. And clearly, you know, from discomfort to comfort. I love it, and that's what the whole theme about this this podcast is about. So, thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. We'll talk again real soon. The headlines to headboards. This is sex in the news. A crazy sex story that involves someone losing their memory after having sex with their wife. (laughs) It sounds like a good concept for a movie. Uh, First, though, in the headlines for Sex in the News, uh, Dr. Lori, how many people have experimented with BDSM before? So this was uh, posted by Dr. Justin Lee Miller on his Sex and Psychology um, website and blog. And he talks about, because, you know, this hasn't really been studied a lot, a lot. uh, And we often wonder, you know, how many people have had these experiences? How many people are interested in, in BDSM? And we're hearing more and more about it because it's just out in the open and a lot of sexuality is out in the open. Um, so here, the, he quotes um, a study published in the journal PLOS One, PLOS One, which explored Americans' interest in and experiences with various BDSM acts. And here's what he summed up. 21% of women and 22% of men said they have tied up a partner or been tied up during sex before. That's a pretty high number, actually. Uh, mm-hmm. 14% of women and 16% of men said they have playfully whipped a partner or been playfully whipped as a part of sex play. 34% of women and 30% of men said they have spanked a partner or been spanked during sex. And 3% of women and 4% of men said they have been to a BDSM party or a dungeon before. So 
clearly uh, there's a lot of Americans who have expressed interest in bondage, whipping, attending BDSM parties, and that they've done they've engaged in these behaviors before. So clearly, interest appears to be even more common than BDSM um, behavior. So these are people, you know, like you can ask them, um, yes, I've done these things, but I'm also interested in doing these things. So many more people would say they are interested. So one third of Americans um, reported having engaged in spanking. And spanking is just one of many different forms, of course, of BDSM. But this tells us that BDSM is far from a rare or unusual sexual interest or behavior. Just some people don't call it anything, right? So they don't realize that it's part of this whole BDSM uh, play. So I just think uh, that it's probably underestimated the popularity of uh, of BDSM, uh, and it's probably among the most one of the most popular uh, sexual fantasies when you consider the whole issue of dominance and submission. Etc. So, obviously, research looking at all the different types of behaviors, I mean, there's a huge spectrum of behaviors, would give us a lot more insight into people's uh, sexual interests. All we know from this is that it's way more common than we thought. Yeah, I would think there's a lot, just as you said, where they would say, oh, tying someone up or, you know, you know spanking an ass. I don't know that the majority of those people, it would be interesting to know, how many of them actually feel that they're entering the realm of BDSM? <laughs> they are. Right, yeah, they are by definition, exactly. But probably if you ask them afterwards, like, no, I'm not into that. And you're like, well, what about the whole thing there? Oh, right. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, can someone's sex drive be too high? <laughs> so once again, uh, one of my favorite writers in sexuality, Justin Lee Miller, um, talks about this. It's about the ongoing debate over hyper uh, sexuality. So what does it mean to be hypersexual? You know, hyper is over, hypo is under. Um, so how do we define a high sex drive? Like how do you come up with a clinical definition of hypersexuality? And that is it's kind of controversial in the psychology um, community because we don't really have a consensus. You know, many times I get clients who say, oh, my partner is a sex addict. And I'm like, wait a second, you're, you're the one who's saying they're a sex addict. What does that actually mean, right? So for one person, well, he masturbates every day, so he must be a sex addict. Well, not necessarily. That's not how we determine it, right, in terms of sexuality. So... Um, so he looks at how we have over the years kind of looked at it. And he says some have defined it in terms of the number of orgasms per week. Uh, he says he's seen it defined as having seven plus orgasms a week or one orgasm per day on average. But is it really that? Like uh, it makes uh, it's so arbitrary, frankly, that uh, it would put a whole lot of people who masturbate daily in a prob problematic category, and I, I would have a hard time with that. So uh, that that kind of um, doesn't work in terms of the number uh, of orgasms. So um, now we're, we look at hypersexuality more commonly in terms of the feelings of distress. Like, are you bothered by your high sex drive? Is it causing impairment or is it causing problems in your daily life? 
that could be a sign that there's hypersexuality. But then again, is it guilt that is driving that discomfort? You know, some people think uh, they have a high sex drive, they feel guilty about it, so it does impair them psychologically, but does it mean that they're hypersexual? So, uh, you know, is, it, it, is this out of shame for wanting sex, like daily, for example? So there's, it, it, it's unfortunately, um, it's difficult. Like, as you can see, there's too many questions when it comes to this and kind of uh, defining it. But he it goes on to say that um, hypersexuality may be the symptom, not the cause. So hypersexuality is often blamed and treated as the problem in clinical settings, when in reality, it's often the symptom rather than the cause. For example, some mood disorders can prompt a sudden increase in sexual interest and behavior, um, like people who cope uh, with depression or something else by using uh, sex, right? So sometimes it can increase sex, sometimes it can it can de- decrease sex, things like that. Uh, so desiring sex frequently in and of itself is not necessarily a problem in the same way that desiring sex infrequently is not necessarily a problem either. So you have to look at the person's levels of distress. It's important mm-hmm. to look at where and where the distress is coming from. So that this is why an evaluation by a therapist is required. Like, why are you distressed by this? Because even if you desire sex every day, that doesn't put you in the hypersexuality category. You self-identify as that only because you feel shame about your level of um, desire. So bottom line is, for the vast majority of people, your sex drive is probably perfectly normal. Some people want sex a lot. Some people don't. Some people want it just a little bit and some people don't want it at all. And they can all be part of normal and all be part of healthy. If a person feels out of control where they feel that their behavior is so compulsive, like they're driven in a compulsive nature, then of course get help because you should be in control of your sexuality. It should not be something you feel completely out of control with. Uh, So that would be the only time that I would say okay, there's a problem here. Finally, what matters most when meeting someone new? A research showing us that uh, if you're going to be dating, stats you might want to know. Uh, yes, this is, uh, this is also really interesting. This was an article published in Psychology Today by Dr. David Ludden. And it's looking at what do we look for in a potential uh, sex partner. So uh, he goes on to say that it may, it'll make a difference depending on whether you're uh, a male or a female, um, obviously, and whether you're looking for a long-term relationship or a uh, casual, uh, casual fling. So research shows that most people, regardless of gender or relationship goals, especially value the characteristics of emotional warmth, physical attractiveness, and social uh, status. And psychologists have um, referred to these positive traits as the deal makers. So we have deal makers and we have deal breakers, right? (laughs) Uh, So uh, in addition to those, um, other commonly desired partner traits include intelligence, 
emotional stability, passion, and dominance, which is interesting, but we could, you know, I'm sure you could pick which ones would be for women, which ones may be for men. Uh, so the, but they're also deal breakers, right? So these are the traits that are to be basically avoided in selecting a potential mate. And these are not as well understood in terms of these deal breakers. So what are the deal breakers? So the, there's a couple of studies here. Um, one asked 155 hetero adults to name characteristics that would be deal breakers for either long-term or short, short terms. So here are the seven deal, top deal breakers. Unambitious, which included traits like being indecisive, being dependent, and purposeless. Hostile, so people who are malicious, grumpy, or unfriendly. Filthy, uh, being dirty, slovenly, or stinky. I can't imagine anybody going after that. Uh, <laughs> arrogant, which included traits such as being opinionated and egotistic. Unattractive, which included traits such as being ugly and having an undesirable body type. Clingy, which included traits as being insistent, wanting commitment, and being sentimental and of course abusive which is you know being aggressive and violent and the rank order of these depended somewhat on the gender of the respondent and the type of relationship they uh, were th they were uh, looking for but for all participants filthy was the absolute number like absolute deal deal breaker and clingy was only a deal breaker for a casual fling which is interesting. Ooh. And unambitious was only one uh, for long-term relationships. So if you just want a casual fling, who cares if the person <laughs> is unambitious? Like seriously, yeah. who cares, you know? Um, so what they found just, you know, they asked, why do deal makers outweigh deal breakers? Which is what they found. Uh, a general finding in relationship science is that the negative outweighs the positive. If you make a negative remark about your partner, it will take three or more positive comments to undo the bad feelings. People should um, remember this. So uh, given this trend, the researchers expected people to be more interested in knowing about potential deal breakers before considering deal makers. However, this isn't exactly what they found. They found that deal makers outweigh deal breakers hmm. um, Fascinating. They say, yeah they say they and they say that these results make sense plenty of research shows that people tend to ignore the red flags early <laughs> in relationships yes and we focus right and we focus instead on what we find desirable in a new partner this is how come we end up eventually with people where there are plenty where we you know come to find plenty of deal breakers but once we've already committed, engaged, whatever, had kids, all of all of that stuff. So uh, there is a tendency to ignore um, red flags. So I think that's uh, just something we should all be aware of. Funny stuff. That's amazing. Uh, our crazy sex story. A pensioner loses his memory after having sex with his wife following their wedding anniversary. Yeah, a little bit of a crazy sex story yeah here. and, and kind of you don't hear much about this but there is something 
called transient global amnesia. And a 66-year-old suffered this within 10 minutes of having sex. This was reported in the Irish Medical Journal, um, which led them to say that sex could lead to memory loss. Uh, The guy went to the hospital. He complained of amnesia, having experienced similar symptoms seven years earlier. So this happened before. Uh, The report called recurrent postcoital transient amnesia associated with diffusion restriction. Uh, This is how he lost his recent memory of the last two days. It said on the afternoon of presentation, he had engaged in sexual intercourse 10 minutes before the onset of memory disturbance. After seeing the date on his phone, he became distressed that he had forgotten his wedding anniversary the day before. He had in fact celebrated his wedding anniversary with his wife and family on the previous day. Um, His autobiographical memory remained intact, but he had no memory of that morning or the celebrations the night before. No other neurological symptoms were reported and everything else seemed to be normal. All they could figure out was it was related to having sex. I I can only (laughs) imagine this to be a very rare condition, but if it happens to you, you will get your memory back. This is the moral of this story. (laughs) And short-lived, apparently. (laughs) For the rest of your life, your wife will say, my sex blew your mind. I'm that good, honey. Yeah, completely blew it out of the water. <laughs> who's, who's the best in oh, the yeah, bedroom? Yeah, yeah. I am. I blew out your mind. <laughs> I like that. You know what? Out of all the crazy sex stories we've had, Dr. Lori, that one <laughs> is uh, it's, the, the, it's crazy in a different crazy category. Exactly. The medical stuff fascinates me, you know, when I yeah. see like the, the, the medical unex, kind of unexplained stuff. And we do get an explanation in the end, but it is kind of fascinating. It was, uh, it's refreshing change. I'm not going to lie. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, coming up on the next edition of Passion, be ready to download it. Talking to your partner about porn. Yes, people need to have that conversation. I think that a lot of uh, couples get uh, a little, um, um, uh, I'm not sure what the word is, but like when they discover their partner's porn use, they like, ah, what the hell's going on? Instead of having had that conversation, it could be years into a relationship, right? So why not have that conversation ahead of time? We will get to that. And of course, on this uh, podcast, some people will thank. Absolutely. Our musical uh, director, Stephen Voice. Uh, we'd like to thank Alex for uh, doing what she does with our social media. Uh, Linda DeLisi for taking care of uh, the, the research part of this. Uh, who else do we want to thank? We want to thank our supporters, Red, uh, Red Dream Studios. We want to thank uh, 360 uh, Aromatherapy, um, Essence 360 Aromatherapy. Uh, who else? Uh, and thank you. And thank all of our listeners as well. Thank you so much for downloading us and, and being a part of our community. Be ready to download next Tuesday. If you're on a platform like Spotify, Google, Apple, iHeart, wherever you're listening to the podcast, make sure if you can rate the podcast, give a comment. That's always appreciated. It helps the algorithm serve our podcast to more people like you and help us grow the passion community. Dr. Lori, we will chat next week. We shall. Take care, John. Passion with Dr. Lori Batito and John Pohl. To submit questions, business inquiries, or just to connect, visit drlori.com. Thank you for supporting Passion.